0: Raised a thousand voices just to lift Your holy name, and we will raise thousands more to sing of Your beauty in this place. When none can even fathom, no, not one.
1: Good evening. I'm Jay. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Bible Church, and I want to thank you for participating in tonight's online service. I say participating because our strong desire tonight is that you do more than watch. We're doing this as a live stream, not so you'll just tune in, but so you'll join in. Join in the prayers, join in the worship, join in the Lord's Supper, the time in the Word. This is As you know, Good Friday. And this service isn't so much a celebration as it is a commemoration. It's a memorial, if you will. And and what we want to do is think deeply and profoundly about the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's our goal tonight. I'll begin by reading from a Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. The title of this prayer is Love Lusters at Calvary. My Father... Enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply the words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. There grace removes my burdens and heaps them on thy son, made a transgressor, a curse, and a sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man thy fellow. There, thy infinite attributes were magnified, and infinite atonement was made. There, infinite punishment was due, and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish, that I might be all joy. Cast off, that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy, that I might be welcomed as friend surrendered to hell's worst, that I might attain heaven's best, stripped that I might be clothed, wounded that I might be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made a shame that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem, bowed his head that I might uplift mine, experienced reproach that I might receive welcome, closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness, expired that I might forever live. O Father, who spared not thine only Son, that thou mightest spare me, all this transfer thy love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore thee by lips and life. O that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood. Hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, to comfort, and to save.
2: I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of we." is watch and pray find in me thine all To him, I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
1: As we move into a time of communion, I just have a few thoughts before we take the Lord's Supper. Richard John Newhouse writes, If what Christians say about Good Friday is true, then it is quite simply the truth about everything. If what Christians say about Good Friday is true, then it is quite simply the truth about everything. And that everything starts with telling the truth about the human condition. And we need that truth about who we are because we very often minimize our faults, and we regard our sins as small or common. And Good Friday puts a lie to that claim. It puts a lie to that claim because if the Son of God had to suffer death, even death on a cross, then our sins cannot have ever been small. If we begin to view our sins this way, instead of how God sees them, that leads us to embrace another falsehood, and it's the false claim that we can make things right. You see, even with the existence of small sins, we know that redemption is necessary. We know some kind of debt needs to be paid on our behalf. And if our sins are small, we can self-righteously set out to pay that debt. And so off to work we go. But on Good Friday, God made a very clear statement. And the statement is, we are incapable of setting things right. He made that statement clear by taking our place. On the cross, the judge of the guilty is himself judged guilty. Because we are truly powerless to set things right, only God, only the offended party could undo the mess that we created. The cross, it is God's way of bearing witness to the truth about our condition. It is as offensive today as it was 2,000 years ago. In the 21st century, just as it was in the first century, many, many people insist on reinterpreting or misinterpreting what was going on that Friday afternoon just outside of Jerusalem, but to no avail. Our sin has been judged, and God himself bore the punishment. And that is the truth about everything. As we transition into taking this supper together, as always, we remind you that this is for believers in Christ— and I know this is an unorthodox moment to be doing this in your homes, perhaps around a coffee table or a dinner table, but this is for believers in Christ. And this is not the norm. This is not the establishment of a new normal, taking the Lord's Supper online and in homes. These are exceptional times. And so this is an, exception, uh, an exceptional moment uh, within those times. But we are the saints gathered, though we're gathered all across Edmond and Oklahoma City. We are the saints gathered, we're in God's presence, and God's presence is not confined to our building. And so as we take this supper now, I want us to to just think upon the Lord, think upon the song you just sang, and think about the truth that pertains to everything, who we are, and what God has done to make us right with him. Let's silently go before him, and then I'll lead us through the supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, Scripture says, he says he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Let's give thanks for the bread. Father, we thank you for the bread that you've supplied. We thank you for the body of our Lord Jesus. It was crushed for our, our iniquities. It was broken for us. Lord, we thank you for this bread. And after he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It paid it all for us. All of our sins. Each and every one of us washed whiter than snow through the work of your son, our sacrifice, our substitute at Calvary. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you for a relationship we have with you through his finished work. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the gospel that is preached to us at this meal around this table. Lord, I pray that these truths as we sing them tonight and as we look at your word and listen to them tonight and now as we have taken them in tangibly through the cup and the bread, that the gospel would take deeper and deeper hold of our lives tonight. We thank you for this time together. We submit this to you and and pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Time to work on
3: Amen. Well, it's great to have all of you joining us online for this Good Friday service here at Faith Bible Church, and we're joining ourselves together and our hearts together with people all over Edmond and all over Oklahoma and all over the United States, really all over the world, as God's people are gathering this evening to remember that finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, His death on the cross for us that paid the price for all of our sins. If you'll take your Bible with me and you'll turn to, to uh, Mark chapter 15, um, I want to bring a message that I've titled, uh, The Darkest Hour. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a dark hour for our world. Um, it's a dark hour for our nation. Um, it's a dark hour for our state. Uh, many, many people are dying. I was uh, watching the news before I came, and there's, uh, uh, you know, unclaimed bodies that are being buried in New York City as many, many people there are perishing from uh, this coronavirus. So it's a dark time. maybe a dark time with your family, or just darkness and uncertainty about your future. But the good news for all of us is that even when God puts us to to sleep in the dark as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, God never leaves the room. And in in Mark chapter 15, we find Jesus in the dark. Uh, Jesus dies in the darkness, Um, He dies uh, God-forsaken. And we discover from this that Jesus can meet us in the darkest hours of our lives as well, when darkness surrounds us, when it covers us kind of like a heavy blanket. Jesus knows the darkness better than anyone, and He plunged much deeper into the darkness than we can ever imagine as He bore uh, the penalty for all of our sins on the cross. And so in in Mark chapter 15, verses uh, 33 to 37, uh, we find Jesus the light of the world, I'm hanging naked in a thick, inky, black darkness. Let me begin reading here in Mark 15 at verse 33. And at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, 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 lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. May the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts here together this evening. What we have here is Mark's account of the crucifixion. And most of you know this, uh, Jesus was taken out and crucified at at nine o'clock in the morning. Now it's noon, it's it's the sixth hour, and it says that Jesus will die at the ninth hour at three in the afternoon. And from noon till three, darkness covers the land, the Scriptures tell us. Now, we don't know if that means that it just covered Jerusalem, may have covered all of the land of Israel. We don't know for sure, but it was a, a thick, pervasive darkness. You know, it's interesting. 33 years earlier at Jesus' birth, there was light at midnight. Remember, as the angels appeared to the shepherds. But now there's darkness at midday. And I think it's D.L. Moody who said one time what we have here is midnight at midday. And this is not a solar eclipse. Um, Obviously, this is Passover. There's a full moon, so uh, there's no eclipse at this time. It's not some uh, suffocating sandstorm or a dust storm because this is the wet season in Israel. No, this is a a supernatural darkness. This is a darkness uh, sent from uh, heaven. When you think about the the time of Jesus hanging there on the cross, those six hours, uh, from 9 to 12, Jesus suffers at the hands of men. He undergoes physical suffering. But from from noon to three, Jesus suffers at the hands of God. It's spiritual suffering that He endures uh, for us. God comes from noon to three and visits Calvary. Isaiah 53, a, a prophecy of the death of the Messiah, says this, The Lord was pleased to bruise Him, stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted the Father Himself comes and visits Calvary. He smites the Son. He strikes Him, and He afflicts Him. So God turned out the lights when He visited Calvary. But God wants us to look into that darkness and to see Jesus so, we'll, so that we'll be able to trust Him in the darkness of our own lives. There's a, a story I heard uh, some time back about Dr. Gardner Taylor. He was a pastor and a, a preaching professor. And he shares an anecdote about one time when he went to preach in Louisiana back during the Depression days. Um, electricity was just coming to that part of the country, and he was out in a rural black church that had just one light bulb hanging down from the ceiling to light the whole sanctuary. He was preaching away, and in the middle of his sermon, suddenly the electricity went out, the, the building went uh, dark. And Dr. Taylor didn't know what to say being a young preacher. He's kind of fumbling around with his notes, and he stumbled and kind of fumbled around. that one of the elderly deacons sitting in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. You know, Good Friday highlights those times in our lives when we can't see Jesus uh, because of the dark. The darkness that dwells around us and within us. But on this Good Friday, I want us to see Jesus in the dark, and I want us to see how He meets us in our darkest hour and how He brings us into the light. So let me lead us through four things that God wants us to see here together this evening in the darkness. Now, I'm going to focus on the last two. Uh, These first two I'll go through fairly quickly, and we'll focus on the last two uh, in a little bit more time. But the first thing we see in this passage is I call the darkness and sovereignty, I don't want us to miss this because as Jesus hangs there on the cross, He cries out into the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, this is a quote from a thousand years earlier in Psalm 22 and verse 1. And Jesus uttering these words is a fulfillment of prophecy. And I just want to highlight the fact that this tells us that the anguish of Jesus was not an accident. I mean, it was purposed and planned and predicted by God. In fact, Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the darkness there at Calvary was part of God's sovereign plan of redemption. God is sovereign over the darkness. Again, it wasn't an accident. It was planned by God. It was part of His plan from the beginning. And I just mention that because if God was sovereign over the darkness of Calvary, then He's sovereign over the darkness that may be over your life or my life. Our darkness is also part of God's good plan uh, for our lives. God has a sovereign purpose for our darkness. It's not so outside of His control. And I think that's something we need to remember and lay hold of in these times in which we find ourselves. So the darkness of, of, of Calvary, they're the darkness and sovereignty. The second thing is the darkness and sympathy. Think about this. The Creator was dying on the cross, and all of creation was shrouded in darkness, sympathizing with Him. This time of year, I like to to read uh, a lot of different articles and books and and what people say about uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I ran across a quote I'd never read before. It's a very profound one. Someone put it like this, Jesus, the maker of the world, was unmade. Think about that. Jesus, the maker of the world, was unmade as He's hanging there um, in the darkness crying out. And all creation, if you will, responded in sympathy to the Creator and shrouded uh, Calvary in darkness. I think Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, had this in mind when he wrote those words, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut His glories in when Christ, the mighty Maker, died for man, the creature's sin. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in disobedience against God, remember it affected all of creation. It, it plunged the world into a fallen condition. Think about this for a moment. Everything in creation obeys God except man. Everything else in this creation obeys God except man. And the Adam Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and uh, they, they pulled all of creation with them into the fall. Romans 8 tells us, we live in a groaning creation. But one day creation will be delivered from bondage and travail when uh, the Lord Jesus, the King returns. So when the, the maker died, the creation responded, if you will, in the sympathy of darkness. So we have the darkness and sovereignty. We have the darkness and sympathy, but we also have the darkness and a serenity. Jesus died in the dark so He can meet us in our darkness and bring us comfort and bring us peace and bring serenity uh, to our hearts. I know uh, almost all of you have heard of Corrie ten Boom. She was, uh, interestingly, she was born on Good Friday back in 1892. But her sister, uh, Lord Corrie ten Boom and her sister were in the Ravensbrook uh, concentration camp. Her sister died there, her sister Betsy. But her sister Betsy used to make the statement, no matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. No no pit is so deep that he's not deeper still. And in the dark hours they spent there in that concentration camp, she would always say, no matter how deep we go into the darkness, he's deeper still. And I think her mind was going to Jesus hanging there on the cross uh, in the darkness. Jesus can bring hope and healing to those of us who are struggling in the darkness maybe the darkness of difficulty or maybe a depression or discouragement or maybe even impending death. Jesus plunged in the darkest abyss for us, and because of that, He's able to come and meet us um, in our darkness as well. You know, when we, when we think about what's going on in our world today with a virus, an invisible virus, this coronavirus or, or COVID-19, it kind of makes our mind go back to other times in history when people were struggling with epidemics Many of you know the name Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher. He was, um, many say, the greatest theologian ever produced by America. But on March the 22nd, uh, 1758, Jonathan Edwards took his final breaths. Um, A little over a month earlier, he'd been installed as president of the College of New Jersey, which later became Princeton. Um, his son-in-law, Aaron Burr, had had that position, but he had died. So a lot of disease going around at that time, and uh, Jonathan Edwards st- uh, stepped into that position. With all the smallpox going around, uh, they had come up with an inoculation, a vaccine for it, and so Jonathan Edwards, wanting to take care of his family, had his family um, inoculated. And um, he got from that, he contracted smallpox. And um, He got it inside of his mouth and inside of his throat, and uh, you can read about it. It's it's a terrible picture. But after weeks of a fever and starvation from being unable to swallow, uh, Jonathan Edwards, the the great man of God, the great preacher, the great theologian, uh, went into the presence of the Lord. And when his wife was given news of this, her name was Sarah, here's what she said. What shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore His goodness, that we had Him so long. But my God lives, and He has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We're all given to God. There I am, and love to be. said, look, we have nowhere else to go. We're given to God. God lives. God has my heart. She was committing herself to God in the darkness. We've been covered by a dark cloud. That wasn't the end of the dark cloud. Um, Sixteen days later, um, Jonathan Edwards' daughter, Esther, died. And seven months later, his wife, Sarah, who wrote those words, she died as well. So Jonathan Edwards had died. His son-in-law had died. His daughter died. His wife died. And the person that wrote uh, the article that I read about this said the Edwards family uh, had been broken. But here they are trusting God in the darkness, and sometimes the dark cloud comes upon all of us. And We need to trust the Lord no matter how deep our darkness. He is deeper still. We're given to God, and He should have our heart. Isaiah 50, verse 10 is a great verse. You might write this down and go back to it some this week. It says, Let the one who walks in the dark and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. That's exactly what Sarah Edwards did. She trusted in the name of the Lord and relied on our God. And we can trust God in our darkest hour as well, giving ourselves to Him, clinging to Him, even when we find ourselves um, under a dark cloud. So we have the darkness of sovereignty, we have the darkness and sympathy, we have the darkness and serenity. We also have the darkness and salvation. In this passage here in Mark chapter 15, it's in all the Gospels, but God drops a curtain, if you will, and Jesus is hidden from view for three hours. The light of the world. Think about this. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. And yet there he is enveloped in darkness. And we could literally say an eternity of darkness passed in those three hours. Erwin Lutzer puts it like this. He says, Jesus was a sacrifice for many people. So he had to compress an eternity of hell into three hours. And, of course, the darkness that shrouded Calvary symbolizes judgment. Remember back when the plagues came upon the Egyptians? Remember before the tenth plague, which was the the striking down of the firstborn, and, of course, the, the Jewish people celebrating Passover? Remember the ninth plague was darkness so the plague of darkness enveloped the land before the first Passover lamb was slain, because that ninth plague was darkness. Now, before the death of the ultimate Passover lamb, there's darkness again. That's again a symbol and a sign of judgment. Now, most of you know this, but there are seven statements of Jesus from the cross. As he's dying on the cross, and he gives seven different statements, but Mark just records this one the only one Mark records is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think the reason Mark does that is is Mark's gospel is all about the gospel. I mean, his gospel ends, begins with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think for Mark, this solitary statement brings us to the heart of the gospel. It boils it all down, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken for us. Uh, This is uh, the lamentation of our Lord. It's a cry of dereliction. It's undiluted agony as Jesus is deserted and abandoned and estranged. Um, He bore the sinner's sin. He was made sin for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 3.18 says, he died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So as Jesus hangs there on the cross, Jesus was dealt with not as a son, but as sin. He became sin for us. And Jesus cries out like an orphaned child, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time Jesus doesn't address God as Father in all the Gospels. In like fact, just earlier, in one of his statements, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But here, it's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God puts a curtain around the cross as the tsunami of God's wrath is surging over Jesus. You know, on the annual Day of Atonement in Israel was the only time the Jewish high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And you remember, he had to go alone. Only God saw him do it, because he ministered alone there. And during those three hours of darkness, Jesus completed the eternal transaction with the Father, and only the Father saw him do it. Jesus, our great high priest, was both priest and sacrifice, as he suffered alone in the darkness. God was visiting judgment for our sins on Jesus. I mean, think about these words. You have God forsaken by God there at the cross. Now, we have to be careful here, because the Trinity wasn't divided in its essence. The Trinity isn't divided or destroyed. The, the fabric of the, the Trinitarian Godhead is not torn. But what we have here among, uh, between the God the Father and God the Son is a fracture of fellowship or uh, a, a withdrawal of communion. The eternal stream of fellowship and communion between the Father and the Son was broken. It had gone on through the rolling ages of all of eternity. And in this moment of time, um, it's broken. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know I've told this story before, and I know I'll tell it again. This is a good one. Rabbi Duncan, a great Scottish theologian, they called him Rabbi Duncan because he was so uh, adept in, in the Hebrew language language. But one day he was lecturing in his class, and he was trying to summarize what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. He was pacing back and forth in the class, and he he was anxious, trying to to summarize in some way for the students uh, what Jesus had done for us at the cross. And he uttered a a single unforgettable sentence in his class. He finally, it came to him, and um, he was they say chewing on a cigar in his class, thinking this over. And he finally says, do you know what Calvary was? What? 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 And with tears running down his face, he says, I'll tell you what it was. It was damnation. It was damnation. And Jesus took it lovingly. And that's what we witness really here in this passage is damnation. And Jesus took it lovingly. He was experiencing our judgment day. And the Bible says, for those who fail to trust in Christ someday, they're going to be cast into the outer darkness. And Jesus experienced the outer darkness, so we never have to. He was abandoned to outer darkness, that we can walk in the light. He was forsaken, so that we never have to be. Look, this was the most epical moment in all of human history, as Jesus paid the full sin debt of all humanity, past, present, and future. To kind of bring it to our day today, we could put it like this. Jesus bore the sin virus so we can be healed. Look, there's a pandemic virus that all of us carry. Uh, None of us are asymptomatic either, by the way. We all carry the symptoms of it. It's a universal pestilence of sin. It's a plague. And it brings death, physical death and spiritual death. And for the sin virus, there's no vaccine and there's no human cure but praise God, there's a divine remedy. And Jesus took the full effect of the sin virus in his death for us, and he heals all who will come to him in faith. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this, what a paradox is the cross of Christ. He went through darkness that we might have light. He was forsaken that we might be accepted. He was misunderstood that we might know the truth and be set free. He died that we might live. I, uh, I've told a few stories before about Dr. Walter Wilson. Uh, Walter Wilson was actually a medical doctor who lived in Kansas City, and became a very well-known evangelist and Bible teacher. He actually taught in the church where my dad grew up, and when he would come there and teach in that church in Springfield, Missouri, he would stay in the home uh, of my, with my grandfather and grandmother, and my dad met him there. And then when I was a young boy growing up over at Metropolitan Church in the 60s, he actually came a couple times and spoke at our church. Uh, a very well-known evangelist, and has some incredible stories about how he would share the gospel uh, with people. God really used him in a mighty way. But one time at the close of a, a church service, there was a young woman sitting with two of her children um, in, the, in the sanctuary, and she didn't leave. And so Dr. Wilson approached her with the question. He says, do, do you need some help, or, or do, do you need me to, uh, to, to um, counsel you in some way? And she said, "Look, my problem is I don't understand the Bible, and I don't know how to become a Christian. Do you have time to show me?" And so he asked her. He said, "Is there any part of the Bible that you know that you can quote?" And she said, "Yes, there is." She said, "I can quote John three sixteen. I learned it in Sunday school." And he said, "Well, do you understand the meaning of that verse?" And she said, "Well, no, I really don't. Will you explain it to me?" And he said, "Yes, I will." But he says, "Will you quote it for me first?" So she quoted it and said this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only forgotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, of course, she substituted the word forgotten for the word begotten. But Dr. Wilson, being a wise man, took advantage of this, and he said, Do you know why God forgot His Son? And she said, No, I have no idea. I've often wondered why. And he said this, it was because the Lord wanted to remember you. God in heaven was willing to part with his son for a little while so that he might have you forever. He let his son be enveloped in terrible darkness so that he might give you a crown of light. He let Jesus die so that he could give you eternal life. It was you for you, my friend, that God forgot his son. I love that. That's a beautiful story. Jesus really is the only forgotten son in that way. He was forgotten and forsaken in the darkness, so you and I don't have to be. Uh, When the uh, short story writer O. Henry was dying, he said this, Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. Nobody does. Nobody wants to leave this world in the dark, and you don't have to. No no person, not one person who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior ever goes home in the dark because Jesus endured the outer darkness for us. Why not trust Him if you've never done so? Why not receive the free pardon He offers? We've sung some great songs here tonight about the cross, but one great line of an old hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. By taking Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we get a full pardon for all of our sins. So if you've never done that, what better time than on Good Friday when we, sell it, when we remember the, the death of Jesus to take Him and receive that pardon that He purchased for you at the cross. And look, if, if things seem dark in your life, if you feel alone and, and desperate and deserted, maybe you feel abandoned and discouraged, get close to the Savior who entered the darkness for you. God sometimes puts His children to sleep in the dark, but He never leaves the room. Jesus was forsaken so that we don't ever have to be, and He knows what you're going through. He experienced a depth of darkness you and I can never know. However deep you go, Jesus is always deeper still, so cling to Him and allow Him to lead you into His light. Remember those words of Isaiah 50, verse 10, let the one who walks in the dark and has no light... Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. And as Sarah Edwards said, we're given to God. He has my heart. There I am. And that's where I love to be. Let's trust Him together in this dark time in which we live. Jesus has gone deeper than any of us can ever go. However deep we go, He's deeper still. Let's trust in Him. Well, let's pray together. I love the words of another old hymn that says, His brow was pierced with many a thorn, His hands with cruel nails were torn, Yet from my guilt and grief forlorn, In love He lifted me. Oh, Father, we thank You tonight for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who loved us and who lifted us, who's brought us into the light, because He took the darkness for us. Father, if there's anyone watching here tonight who's in this service with us who's never trusted in Jesus, the one who was forgotten and forsaken for them, may they take him tonight and receive that pardon that he purchased for them on the cross. And Lord, for anyone tonight who's watching who feels like they're in the darkness, maybe they've they've lost their job or there's a lot of uncertainty about the future, they've been going to sleep in the dark a lot here in recent days, help us to know Although you might put us to sleep in the dark sometimes, you never leave the room. You're with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Oh, Father, we thank you for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May his name be praised forever. Amen. Let's join together as we sing a couple more great songs about our Savior. our benediction this evening, I'm going to leave you with those words of the Apostle Paul when he said, may it never be that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go forth tonight, uh, glorying in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. And we look forward to seeing you Sunday morning on Easter. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you then.